Welcome to the Metaverse Podcast, your go-to source for all things related to the Metaverse and decentralized technologies. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the exciting world of DeFi. We've created a selection of highlights on the topic featuring some of the most knowledgeable and experienced founders and experts in the DeFi space, all of them guests on our podcast. From the basics of what DeFi is and how it works, to the latest trends and innovations, you get an inside look at this rapidly evolving ecosystem. So get ready to explore the world of DeFi with Outlier Ventures. Let's get started. So today I'm really happy to welcome onto the show Dean Tribble, co-founder of Agoric. Welcome, Dean. Thank you for having me. So could you talk us through some of the primitives that you've been building? So I know DeFi was a big focus, but as we said, you've also been building out some primitives to allow for uh, non-fungible functionality and for those to work in the context of DeFi as well. So could you talk us through some of the key primitives that you've been you've been rolling out and then I guess how they might combine in an interesting way. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, back in 2015, I think it was, this was right around the time when Ethereum was first coming out. Our chief scientist, uh, Mark Miller, uh, wrote a paper for financial cryptography showing how to do digital assets, including both fungible and non-fungible digital assets, transactions, smart contracts in JavaScript or in a very JavaScript-like language. I think he had both E and JavaScript. And that resulted in what we call the electronic rights transfer protocol, which is a JavaScript, which is an API, which we've rendered in JavaScript, but could be done in other programming languages for being able to talk about the, you know, the trade and exchange of digital assets, including fungible and non-fungible tokens. So since the beginning, Agoric here has been built around having nice uniform handling of digital assets, whether they're the local fungible staking token currency, um, a, a fungible or non-fungible currency created in the local programming language, um, some uh, token, whether it's fungible or non-fungible, brought across interop protocols. So it's a, it, so it's a token that runs on some other network or, or, or any of the above. So we just had a, a demo at a recent conference, the Masari mainnet event, where the application from end to end showed you know, bringing a fungible token from another chain over to, to the Agoric chain, using it as collateral in a vault to get a local, a local stable currency. So that's another fungible token that's, a, that's a, essentially a local stable coin to be able to spend in the local markets, taking that to the local AMM, buying another, um, other, another fungible token that was some volatile asset, and then finally going to an NFT application and buying that with the, sta the same stable local currency. Our uh, stable local currency is called RUN, R-U-N, and it is, uh, you know, and it is, it is primarily focused on being the grease for the economic wheels on our chain, but it can be used over the, over uh, interop protocols on other chains. But so, that exercised several pieces where they were reused across local currencies, remote currencies, asynchronously available, and NFTs. You know, so if you have the simple notion of a swap, right, rather than in platforms, you know, like Ethereum or other platforms, where they have to treat the local currencies and the remote currencies or the synthesized smart contract currencies very differently, here it's just, you know, I've got some asset and whether that's pegged ETH, you know, remoted atoms or the local build BLD staking token. It's the same. I'm going to swap that for, you know, again, pegged ETH or atoms or a concert ticket, which is an NFT or a position on Uniswap that was brought over Gravity Bridge and brought over IBC over to our chain or what have you. 
all of those are just digital assets. And the idea of a swap is abstract across all of that. And so that means the same 20 some odd lines of JavaScript works just fine to trade any of those assets with any of the others. And so we then use that to build a bunch of DeFi components, DeFi Legos, where an NFT was just one of those at the, at the beginning of the world. Now there's lots of ways that grows. Okay, so today I'm really happy to welcome on the show Grace Kwan, aka Ori, co-founder at Orca Dex and head of product. Welcome, Ori. Can you tell us the origin stories of Orca and I guess you know what, what that tells us about the Solana ecosystem? Orca formed very organically. Um, I would say it really came from me and my co-founder, Yutaro, just hacking on side projects, actually. Originally, we were uh, coding up a, a couple of fun little things on Ethereum, uh, but that was pretty much when DeFi summer was starting to happen and the gas fees were getting really insane. At the time, we had this, this idea of really trying to help people save more money and also be able to basically you know, learn about DeFi through this sort of black boxed kind of um, protocol, which would use Aave under the hood. But that, that was also the same time where starting to deposit anything in a complex smart contract would cost $50 in ETH gas fees. So that's when Solana caught our eye as a potential layer one that didn't suffer from those types of problems and could actually scale to, to serve the masses. So let's zoom out now. Post-Terra DeFi, where do, where do you think we are as an industry specific to DeFi, but maybe more generally in, in, in crypto, what do you think has changed or um, you know, what do you think this means for builders in DeFi for the next 12 months? Yeah, that that's an interesting one. Well, it's definitely a time of a lot of FUD. You know, we could call it crypto winter. But I was actually just writing a tweet thread about this yesterday because, you know, to be honest, <laughs> when everyone was freaking out last week, I felt a little bit weird because I really wasn't freaking out at all. Like, I was like, yep, things have crashed, you know. A lot of people probably aren't too surprised that a bubble will eventually burst, right? Or at least, you know, that's something that we we felt like always could happen. DeFi is very cyclical. It's happened before, you know, most likely it'll happen again. But in some ways, it's actually kind of a good thing for these, these protocols to be put to the test. In a bull market, you get a lot of people making some very extreme claims about what their protocols can do. And I think in the general hype, those claims are not always stress tested. But for DeFi to actually serve as reliable financial infrastructure for the world, it really needs to be stress tested and battle tested. And so I see this as as an example of that, the, the battle testing that protocols go through, some will survive. Um, and the ones that survive are generally the ones that are solving a real problem with real demand for that problem. And and also like the technology that can actually live up to its claims, right? And so that's where, you know, I'm actually pretty excited for the future of DeFi. <laughs> Hopefully that a lot of the protocols that are really just out there as as cash grabs to be honest, will be will cleared out. You know, they won't have the the funding, the belief, the the strong communities to actually survive winter. And the ones that do survive will provide this even more reliable and and even more usable financial infrastructure. Yeah, and and so, what would your advice be to a founder just starting out now? So, you know, perhaps they are trying to raise their first bit of seed investment. Um, they've got perhaps an early product 
uh, and you know looking at what's going on in in the wider market and and are a little a little anxious what would be your advice to them right now my advice would really be to to hone in a little bit on the the second aspect that i mentioned so the first aspect being is there a need the second aspect being, is there really a strong market and market demand for that need? And the third being like real technology, right? I think a lot of builders tend to focus on the first and the third aspects like, oh, this seems like a problem and I think we can build some tech to solve it. But even if something's a need, it may not always be a strong enough need for there to be product market fit. And I, I do see this a lot where, where people don't really take time to like size the market or understand things like uh, switching costs that you have to consider when it comes to actually acquiring users and, and to hunker down and, and focus on creating this real value. If you create real value and you create the, the community and the marketing around it, then you'll be as well positioned as you possibly could be to, to survive this crypto winter. Okay, so I'm really happy to welcome to the Metaverse show uh, two co-founders, co-CEOs of the ZeroX project, Will Warren and Amir Bandiali. Welcome both. I think it's like really important to kind of get perspective from founders like yourselves who were really ahead of the curve, you know, in, in startups and then naturally venture, timing's everything, right? Being too early uh, can be one of the most dangerous things. And, and if you are very early, kind of staying in the game. So, you know, you guys were cool before DeFi summer, before a lot of the attention moved into DeFi. And, you know, how did you stay the course uh, during that? And um, I guess having gone through various bull and bear markets, you know, now we're, we're in the summer of 2022, we're objectively in a sustained bear market. Um, debatable whether it's a winter, you know. So, a, how did you go through those various cycles and be be so early and and survive? And then, secondly, how does that change the way that you act now when in, in another bear market? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, I think you know, I I think that since the beginning, we've had very very strong conviction in our vision for the future, where there are. You know, billions of different tokenized assets spanning all of the different verticals from like traditional fiat currencies, stocks, bonds, startup equity derivatives to video game items and like, you know, internet reputation points within online communities. And really just like anything you could imagine that can be represented as like uh, a digital asset, like we, we think that's going to happen. And, you know, I, I think that like having strong conviction in what the future is going to look like and having a really strong mission and team values that you know we hire against has allowed us to put together a team that is is very mission driven where we are very long term focused we you know we like openly acknowledge that crypto is going to go through ups and downs the technology is extremely disruptive and uh, you know, of course, it's going to bump into you know existing institutions. There's going to be you know tension there, um, but at the end of the day, we think that you know blockchains and peer-to-peer markets can democratize access to financial services in the same way the internet has democratized access to information. And like the 
the change that that's going to have on our daily lives in 10 years is going to be incredibly huge uh, in the same way that, you know, the internet has changed all of our lives over the last 30 years. Uh, Jamie, I'm not sure how, you know, how old you are, but you know, I'm, Amir and I are in our thirties. And I remember when we were kids, you know, if you wanted to find out something, some piece of information, you had to go to a public library and hope to find like a, a physical book that contained the information you were looking for. And if you look, you know, at where we are today with like basically all human knowledge at our fingertips uh, on our smartphones, you know, we think that a similar magnitude of change is going to happen within, you know, how, how humans organize and coordinate on a global scale with crypto and bear markets, bull markets, it doesn't matter. Like they're just, you know, another step forward towards the future that we envision. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you there. And it's almost really how excited the wider world gets about what we're doing here in Web3, you know, what people like yourselves are, are building. Um, and I definitely want to get to that bigger vision of the potential of DeFi. You know, we at Outlier call it MetaFi, it's slightly more expanded, I guess, view on GameFi, but the idea that we're going to end up with new forms of um, collateral, new kinds of digital assets that can be borrowed and lent against to represent any uh, and every kind of form of, of digital thing um, and, and value flow um, within the digital economy that's kind of currently tra trapped in these platforms. And I, I want to get to that, but maybe just before we do, because you know, you guys have been very patiently, very diligently, either directly or indirectly helping build out this DeFi infrastructure. How much of it is effectively rebuilding what's already out there in traditional fad, uh, in TradFi, traditional finance versus kind of truly innovative things that could only be possible um, by leveraging Web3 technology? My, my feeling is that you know, a lot of the things that are going to get traction early on, while this technology, you know, blockchains as a technology, are, you know, more or less, you know, kind of like hacker projects. They're not ready for like global scale billions of users. A lot of the use cases that are going to find product market fit are going to be use cases that are like probably targeted towards like a more affluent audience. Maybe they look like toys. You know, the the whole Chris Dixon toy phase. You know, new new technologies often look like toys or whatever. And you know, I I think um, one of the big use cases that has provably found product market fit in the crypto space and in DeFi and in NFTs and across the board is speculation. Um, you know, unfortunately, for, for better or worse, you know, speculation like draw, draws a lot of attention. Speculation can be the thing that like sparks someone interest in crypto, and you know they end up going fully down the rabbit hole and understanding its potential. But I think speculation is like one of the bigger <laughs> areas where uh, you know there's going to be product market fit early on. But then there are also you know I think more important and meaningful use cases um, like cross border payments with stable coins and being able to like go out and borrow capital against your crypto. Uh, maybe, you know, you wouldn't be able to get a loan at a bank 
but you can go out if you have crypto and borrow against it and use that as a way to go and buy a house or something like that in the future. Um, but yeah, I I'm not quite sure if I fully answered your question. Yeah, yeah, Do you, you have did. any thoughts? No, you did. I would also like maybe, you know, speculation has always been, it's always used as a bit of a dismissive. I always like to think of it, it's price discovery, price discovery for value. And um, through tokenization, we are able to discover the value, the price of things that perhaps might otherwise be uh, somewhat intangible. But um, yeah, it uh, would be great to hear uh, your take on it too. Yeah, I, I would say um, I, I definitely strongly believe that this space is going to enable all, all sorts of new types of behaviors that like you just couldn't really do in the world before. I, it, it already has to some extent, right? Um, it, it doesn't take very long to use DeFi, you know, go make some swaps, provide liquidity, you know, borrow against your assets, trade NFTs, whatever. And, you know, realize that like, these are all pretty much things that, that are very difficult to do uh, in, in the traditional world, uh, at least in, in the same way. Um, and I think that's where things get really, really exciting. Like, you know, we're, we're not just making things more efficient, although that, that is a part of it, but we're actually enabling new types of behaviors. What those new behaviors are, I think is hard to pinpoint. Um, <clears throat> but you know, the, this space just enables really, really rapid, uh, experimentation, uh, and, uh, you know, I think the the next big boom, like, is probably going to be caused by, you know, a brand new use case that, like, nobody has really thought of. It's probably going to be some combination of, uh, you know, all of the things we see today. Uh, you know, one of the really nice properties uh, in the space is that most things are pretty composable with each other. Uh, you know, I call them money Legos, right? Um, so, uh, you know, you can, you can combine all these different use cases and come up with some, some really interesting products. Yeah. One, one use case that I'd like to highlight as being particularly powerful and uniquely enabled by crypto is, yeah, like the emergence of decentralized organizations or DAOs that allow, you know, basically anyone with an internet connection to participate in a community that has communal access over financial resources and can organize and coordinate to, you know, towards the, you know, towards some shared mission or towards the completion of some sort of objective uh, and be able to have kind of full transparency and full control over how resources are allocated. Okay, so today I've got Maria Shen. We just come off stage at um, NFT Castles, who's from Electric Capital, which is an early stage um, crypto investor, but they also invest in equities as well as tokens. Um, they're all very experienced coders, um, and they've got kind of huge amount of credibility from a technical perspective in the space. Um, so really looking forward to going deeper with you than we, we managed to do on the panel, which is very dynamic. I think you're at the other end of it, so it's quite difficult to see. So looking forward to, to, get, to doing this. So are you guys, you know, as developers, you know, you must, you must look at Web3 from a developer's, you know, vantage point and... Do you, do you invest a lot of middleware and stuff, or are you kind of much deeper down in, in the stack? 
Yeah, we have traditionally invested in layer ones. Um, so maybe just even taking a step back, yeah. the the thesis that we have, um, this was developed, you know, back in late 2017, 2018. So before DeFi was a thing, the thesis we had was um, crypto can be used for a number of different things and kind of recall that back in the day people were like oh enterprise use cases right like blockchain not crypto like or like oh it could be used for supply chain um and so um there were a lot of just kind of different use cases that blockchain can be applied to but we felt the one with the most asymmetric return would be in the financial industry and as financial instruments worked out pretty well Um, (laughs) is it bad yeah, I think so. I think so. And so like when DeFi, you know, first it was looking at layer ones as, um, you know, possible settlement layer, but also as a platform upon which a lot of these financial products can be created. Um, and then it was once DeFi came around, it was like, well, you know, this, this is actually exactly what we were waiting for. Um, so invest in a lot of DeFi. And through all of this, I think there were opportunities for middleware and developer tools to exist. Um, we, we frankly didn't invest in a lot of them early on. How do you see all that playing out? You know, DeFi in a US context, is it that it's going to be slightly less DeFi and it's going to have to professionalize the industry? I have no idea what that looks like, or is it, it goes even more extreme to the, to the DeFi and a non-founder? Yeah, I, I think it's challenging. I think I've kind of personal views, but you know, I've really wanted regulators to step in to provide clarity because otherwise you have founders kind of working in this purgatory of not knowing if they're creating, you know, if they're making a misstep or not. So I think regulatory clarity is, is really important to the advancement of the space. Um, But that being said, it doesn't feel very friendly right now. Um, And I, I hope that changes. We'll see. Um, But you know, I do matter. Do you well, think it matters? I, mean, I think it. I think it matters for the United States. For founders, they're just moving out. Like I, I see a lot of founders who are who are just starting their businesses elsewhere at this point because um, because there is too much uncertainty. So today we speak to Esto Callahan of Hundo about learn to earn a new model based upon. Um, borrowing from principles around play to earn, addressing the skills gap within the metaverse to meet the demand of industry, but also allow whole generations a new form of financial inclusion and independence. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's just jump uh, into more of the detail um, about the kind of platform that you're building, how exactly you're going to be leveraging things like NFTs, crypto and, and DeFi. Yeah, so campus is um, we've taken the kind of the play to earn um, principles, um, and we're creating a learn to earn platform. The best way you can teach someone about um, crypto is by using um, tokens in a safe um, environment. So, so each young person who signs up for campus um, will receive um, 100 HDO because hundo means 100%. <laughs> as you probably know, uh, so everything we do is 100. They can start to. Uh, look at courses and and kind of stake their stake their tokens against those courses and learn and that will obviously um, open up rewards and you know and drops and things that they can do but the intrinsic value um, that we're trying to create is the idea that that no matter what happens to crypto um, you have developed skills and then the the biggest part for us that the, the change with the CV is about going as you are developing those skills both on campus and also um, in your 
you know, in your other online life, you know, if you, if you, if you kind of, you know, if, you, if you're picking up skills in gaming, you know, you will be able to store all of those on a permanent uh, skills wallet on chain. So employers can start to make decisions um, about hiring based on skills before they, you know, the use of avatars for us is going to be really important. And um, we piloted that with Innovate UK um, as a way of reducing hiring bias. Um, so I'm really interested at the moment in watching how, you know, big players like, to link, like LinkedIn, you know, and Twitter are, are, are sort of uh, using or allowing people to use PFPs um, or not. <laughs> um, because I actually think that that is, um, that's going to be a really strong, um, the, the combination of having an avatar, the combination of having an, on, an on-chain skills wallet that is, um, you, can, you can keep coming back to campus, you know, and you, you, you might start off going, um, I'm interested in being a Discord channel manager, um, but then you might decide actually you want to become um, a Solidity dev and you will be able to do that um, on campus. So it's, it will be an agile, um, self, self-directed learning. The other part of it is uh, we want young people to be able to make their own choices um, about self-sovereign data and to be able to monetize that if they want to. So we'll have a data union um, as, as part of campus. And, and again, you know, for me, bringing it back down to, to human terms, you know, if your data is earning you or your, you know, your, your online behaviors or whatever is earning you, you know, 50 pounds a month or, you know, $50 a month, well, that pays for food. And that's so I think even, you know, while rather than having to go through education before you can start earning, which is also um, an issue, uh, the idea that you can already be learning and earning um, through campus um, is, is the bit that I'm most excited about. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. 